This is Fundraising Radio, and today is a guest speaker with Jason Scharf, Associate Director at Illumina and a Co-Found Manager at San Diego Angel Conference. And this episode, we'll talk about this San Diego Angel Conference, Illumina, what is that, what does it do? And we'll also talk about bioscience. Uh, bioscience is a pretty tough field to jump in. It has pretty high entrance barriers, so we'll touch onto that. And we'll talk about general fundraising during this pandemic. So, Jason, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Illumina. Great. No, thanks. Nice to be here. Um, yeah, so I've been in life science for the past 15 years uh, at pretty much a lot of sorts of medium and large size life science companies, big drug companies, diagnostic, medical device, always in strategy, market intelligence roles. Um, I kind of started my career, I kind of joke, I'm a recovering scientist. I went to college, worked in a lab with the intention of getting a PhD and got kind of opened my eyes that uh, really wasn't good at it, not really suited to my interests. And so <laughs> I, uh, I married a PhD instead. Um, but then got a job doing PR and that really opened up my eyes to the business side of, uh, of science and really what you can do to catalyze innovation uh, outside of the lab. Uh, yeah, so today uh, I work at Illumina. We're the uh, largest genomic sequencing company in the world. So if you've heard of 23andMe, Ancestry, all those kind of big uh, genomics companies, they all basically run on our technology. We're the technology that's actually uh, giving off the A, C's, T's, and G's and helping understand what that means. I think the biggest thing that Illumina has kind of brought to the table is if you think back to the Human Genome Project and the cost to sequence the very first human genome was $3 billion. Uh, and today with our technology, that gets down to the $1,000 and sub $1,000 range. Mm-hmm, got it. And Illumina, what's your role at Illumina as a associate director? Yeah, so, uh, so I'm Associate Director of Commercial Strategic Planning. So uh, my job is as one of the strategy leads for our commercial organization. So that's uh, sales, service and support, uh, regional uh, commercial operations is how do we look out over the next three to five years and really evolve that organization to help serve our customers better? So um, is that in terms of building out better tools for our, um, our sales team? Is that building better infrastructure for our service team? Uh, figuring out new growth opportunities. So uh, really about how do we kind of continue uh, the engine of growth that uh, our product development team and marketing team kind of build out and then we're the execution arm that hits the ground running. And then also uh, I'm involved as a, a coach at our the Illumina Accelerator as well. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that accelerator. Uh, so Illumina is a big company, right? Pretty successful and it basically has an accelerator within the company itself, right? Yes. So it's like a corporate accelerate, accelerator. Yeah. Uh, so corporate accelerators tend to fall into two flavors. Uh, the first is really about helping companies that will create future products for the company. So in that case, the ideal result is either a partnership or an M&A with one of the with kind of the main corporation. Uh, J Labs, which is a part of Johnson and Johnson, I think is kind of the stereotypical uh, form with that. And then when you kind of come into the second flavor, which is really where uh, the Illumina Accelerator is, it's really about helping companies that were build out the ecosystem and showcase new use cases and applications. So in that case, the ideal end result is one of the accelerator companies really helps build out like an entirely new market segment for um, sequencing and genomics. Mm -hmm. Got it. And before we actually go into the San Diego Angel Conference and what it does, I want to talk a little bit more about Illumina itself. So 
it sounds extremely complicated not gonna lie i have zero understanding of biology i got actually a c even in high school where basically all the subjects are for retards uh i still managed to get a c so i have zero understanding of that but i know for sure that it's pretty complicated to you know start something that makes sense at which stage are you uh at illumina basically deciding to that the company is making something that's realistic, something that might be a good fit for you. Yeah, so at the accelerator, you know, we're looking at that kind of, you know, that 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 early stage, usually pre-series A. Um, we come along and help them with, you know, capital access to sequencing technology, uh, coaching network, and and use the facilities. We now have facilities. We started off in the Bay Area, but now we have an additional accelerator. Um, they just opened up uh, this past cohort uh, in the UK as well. So uh, it's really kind of getting them set, understanding for them what that killer experiment is. And a lot of times they're coming in with these you know, early stage uh, ideas of what it is they want to build. And then by giving access to our sequencing technology, they can then build up um, what it is that they want to do and provide that first real value inflection point that when they leave then they go to the the vcs and be able to raise um uh, a significantly higher round of capital mm -hmm. nice that's actually great my next question was about like uh bioscience being a super capital intense in terms of like development and all that stuff and you just answered that question so let's move on to the next one which would be a life science right now during this pandemic uh, life science bioscience are all on the rise because of the you know healthcare crisis we got here what how should founders use it right now so how should founders working in those fields use it to their advantage without being you know weird well i think it's key to understand when you're talking about like you know obviously that we're in a weird time is uh, seeing the trends that are changing and those that aren't and how you fit into that so example Clearly, we're thinking about how do we enable better, better healthcare with lower direct interaction. So telehealth, wearables, um, sensors in the home, well, those are all areas that, that, are, that are key. Um, also, how do we accelerate digital transformation of life science companies, better trials, data uh, collaboration, just working, you know, leaving the Excel sheets and being able to actually do some of the things that more, I think, cutting edge companies uh, in that space do, I think that the life science world while extremely technologically advanced in the biology we're a few steps behind in terms of adopting the the digital tools that are out there and then i think the last thing is also understanding that a lot of things aren't changing we still need to solve oncology heart disease diabetes these are all areas that still mm -hmm. need, still need to grow and fund and um you know the fact that we're in the middle of COVID doesn't change that it just changes maybe where some of the the attention is being focused on the at the highest levels. Right, right, that's true. So speaking of being funded, when should a bioscience or life science focused company should when should they start fundraising? So first they have idea, which is the point where they can say like, yeah, we've proved our model. It kind of is not it's not as risky as like two weeks ago. I mean two months before, and we're ready to fundraise. Where is that point? What What's that milestone that you have to pass to to be able to fundraise from VCs? So I think it, it's really dependent, right? So obviously, life science comes anything from, I said, digital transformation to um, digital health kind of companies to class drug development uh, uh, companies and, and then diagnostics as well. And so it's understanding where those kind of value uh, inflection points are. So if you're in a drug development, you have to have, you know, you, you have to have uh, in vivo data, then you need to have 
um, sorry, in vitro data, and then you need to have animal data, and all of these points are uh, key because if you think about most things in life science and the the considerable technology risk that's involved, the likeliest expert in the field uh, in your particular niche is the founder. So to come then to um, a an angel, a VC, it's really about what's the evidence that I've produced, what's the papers we've produced, what's the experiments that we've done that have shown that. I think another thing also is prior to coming to Angel or VC is you should be applying for grants. I mean, grants are key in the life science mm -hmm. space because we've had companies come with $10 million worth of grant funding already. It's non-dilutive. Nice. Uh, uh, you know, and it's important to be able to get across those barriers where you have, you know, an idea, but not a, um, not sort of any sort of experiments yet to, to prove it out. Mm -hmm, mm hmm. So you mentioned grants and my next question, I guess, will be what's your most favorite alternative source of capital for startups in this field, except for grants, of course. Oh, so if grants are taken out of this, um, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the other source, if you're going to take grants out of which I think is obviously the, that's such a wide field. And I think that's always something to think about. Um, you know, really is, and this is showing commitment from the founders, is really the founders own, um, you know, money into into the pot. I think that's something that's key. And it needs to be a point that shows level of commitment, right? So if you have someone as a, you know, a, a fresh student out of school who's starting a new company, you know, just showing that they put $10,000 into it, you know, it's is important. If someone who mm -hmm. just exited, this is their third company, um, you know, the level of commitment we're expecting is a lot more. And it's just being able to show that, that, that they're taking this seriously and that it's important to them and they want to get it across the line. And so I think that's an important thing, but not at all to take away from, I think that grants are extremely important as well. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for taking that option away from you right away. <laughs> so uh, speaking of commitment, that's something that I know is like super extremely, extremely important for the uh, investors. They know that founders are joining into the, you know, they're going into a really long journey, maybe eight, maybe 10 years. And they want to make sure that the founder will not burn out in like a year or less than that. Uh, what what factors do you look at other than, you know, monetary commitment from the founder to decide if they're uh, really committed to the, to the subject? Um, I mean, I think understanding, I mean, you see it in passion, right? And, and where they want to go and, and if that vision, that vision aligns with it. I think something that's a, a big trip up a lot is when you see out the use of funds and salaries for the, um, the, the executives and the founders, understanding that the, there's an expectation level, not that anyone has any reference that no, you should be work, you know, living, uh, you know, dirt cheap and nothing, but you know, we've had, I've had founders come in, you know, that are at seed stage raising, you know, maybe a million dollars and they're saying, oh yes. And our, our salary is going to be $300,000 because that's what the, you know, the going rate is. And like, if it's all just going into, into your pocket, that's not really the, we're not doing a, an increase in the value of the company. We're not really growing the company. We're enriching the founders and, Really, it's about that connection. I have no problem with, you know, founders making a significant amount of money from this. It's just that we should be uh, aligned incentives. So it's on the liquidity event. It's on the growth of the company, uh, not necessarily on the salary where they're going to be uh, enriching themselves. Hopefully not on the salary. And speaking of the salary, that's actually one of the very frequent questions I get. And let's take an example, the California uh, resident, uh, because I'm, we're both in California. So let's, let's take that as an example. What do you think is the normal, uh, you know, 
range that the early stage founders should pay themselves. So let's say a founder who is raising a pre-seed round, um, let's say $200,000, how much should they be paying themselves? So one, I think it's a good point of when you're saying on, on how much they're raising. Um, I mean, if they're raising $200,000, the, the, the number comes a lot lower. I've never kind of seen a point that, you know, when you're looking at this stage, I'd say between 75 and 150,000 is probably the, 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 the highest range. Um, and then again, the point there, if you're raising $200,000, you shouldn't be paying this, the CEO, 150,000 of it. Right. Right. I would more bet like to $250. I mean, oh, Jesus Christ, not 250, of course, $2,500 per month. I think that's the salary that you can barely survive on in California. So probably that, that's something you should target on the pre-seed round, but that's heavily, uh, you know, negotiable basically. Uh, so let's go back to the San Diego mm -hmm. Angel Conference. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What, what does it do? Sure. So something else I'm obviously involved in is the San Diego Angel Conference. Um, we're a two-year-old organization and it was built up by the demand in San Diego of angels saying there you know, weren't enough good deals and entrepreneurs saying there weren't enough uh, investors writing checks. So it was how do we kind of continue to bring these, uh, these groups together. Um, the conference is designed as a pitch competition through a series of events leading to the final selection day at the conference. You start off with the September to December timeframe, three months uh, entrepreneur boot camp. Uh, then we have a whole new set of angels, um, some returning, some uh, hopefully a lot new. They come in in January and we kind of make the cut down. So an example, this past year, we started with 103 companies, then took that down to 25, 12, and then six finalists. And then over about a three to four week period, we kind of went through a deep due diligence on the final six. And then shows from there, um, we can invest in anywhere between one and six uh, companies. So over the last two years, uh, we've raised a little over a million dollars and invested that across six companies who received uh, between a hundred and three hundred thousand um, dollars. The group is industry agnostic, which of course makes it very interesting in terms mm -hmm. of uh, you know people who are in the consumer play versus myself in life science, and you learn a lot uh, kind of seeing these different things. And so we've ended up investing in. Uh, two life science companies, two ag tech companies, and uh, two clean tech companies as well. Nice, nice, that's actually really good. And I had a question which I forgot, hopefully I will remember it later on, but for now let's move on and talk about how do you find those people? So how do you, how do you, you know, how do you identify who should go and who should stay? How do you identify those, you know, final six companies that you want to invest in or the major metrics that you're using there? It's tough. It's, it, I won't lie. It's an interesting thing because we have, you know, it's your point, like we have, uh, you know, a hundred something this year, last year, I think we had 93. So it's not any sort of slowing down. And then, you know, we, we do have a process where the companies are obviously they're bringing in their, um, for the first, for the 125, they're all putting into a platform that we uh, use called Gust, where they put in their pitches, their pitch decks, all of their basic information. And this is kind of that first sense of like, you know, what really speaks to you? I think that's the thing is you have, you know, like myself, I'll go through all of the life science companies and kind of flag like, hey, this one is is saying something important. This has got a big thing. Hey, this is a smaller market than they, than they think. And it's really kind of those quick red flags uh, or quick green flags of there's something here. Um, once we get down to the 25, uh, then we start coming in. So the 25 will come in for a three-minute pitch. Um, there's obviously then 
maybe some back and forth with the entrepreneurs as well. You get they cut that down to the 12, the 12, then do a 10 minute pitch. Again, you're cutting down, uh, you cut the, them down, um, asking questions, um, learning different things about them. Sometimes they, we, we're starting to build data rooms as well. But it's really just kind of getting to know. I mean, from our perspective, we're at this stage, it's always about trying to get to yes. So it's what are those companies that make me want to know more? And then once we get down to the six, then we're getting into the the real deep dive into their, what's their IP, what's, you know, does their accounting look good? Um, what's their, you know, go-to-market strategy? Does the tech actually make sense? And really kind of getting the, uh, does everything we've heard uh, make sense on a, on a deeper dive? Mm-hmm. Guys, so you mentioned green and red flags. First, let's talk about the red flags. What are the major things that you see founders doing like really, really wrong during the personal presentation? Is it like they're maybe answering the questions uh, that they're taking like the whole uh, 10 minutes to answer one question or is it their pitch is not focused enough? What are the major red flags that you see there? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, when you, if you ask them a lot of times, if you ask them about competition, if the answer is I have no competition, <laughs> usually a pretty big red flag. Um, I'm the yeah. best thing ever. Um, other things is I think you can kind of tell as you, as you ask questions and kind of go a layer deeper, is there something there or is it um, they haven't done, the, done their homework? I mean, I think that's a lot of kind of those at the pitch level before you kind of do the deep dive and being able to see, you know, technology up front. I think also what's really important is can they tell the story? I mean, sometimes it's it's not even the red flag as much as that. Am I am I seeing the big picture? Am I seeing why this is important? Um, because that becomes a bigger thing as you go. Is what, what's the narrative you're able to tell? Mm -hmm. So narrative and telling the story is something that is mentioned by investors a lot. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? So what should that story include? Should it be like how the founder actually decided to open up the company? Is Should there be like something personal in it? Uh, or should it be like some story that the founder saw a problem in the world and they just decided to solve it? What should the story be focused on? I mean, sometimes I think that, that that personal story can can bring you in, but I think for me, it, it's like, what's the problem and why should I care? Like, are we talking with a large problem, mm -hmm. even if it's a small problem that you can significantly affect, you know, this is why we should care about it. Um, this is how big of a problem it is. I think, how is your solution uniquely positioned to solve this problem and grow? So this is kind of where the competition comes in. This is, this is where we're going to be able to be something really different. Um, why should I trust that the team's the right people? I mean, we're seeing a lot of you know, uh, these same kind of companies. I mean, I think a, a great example is, you know, uh, AI drug development. So there's lots of companies right now that are looking at, you know, utilizing AI to take failed drugs and maybe use them for different, um, different diseases. That's really big and popular right now. A lot of really interesting companies right there. So there's a great example of tell me why, you know, you're going to be able to execute versus the other, you know, mm -hmm. 50 companies doing this. I think also, what are the value inflection points? If I invest in you now, how are you going to get to VC? And what's the new data? This is especially true in life science. What's the new data? What's the killer experiment that you're going to be able to do that's going to de-risk your technology and really show that you can take it to the next to the next step? Um, one of the big things that I uh, I think right now that's been a getting back to most of your red flag question, but in the narrative is, you know, how are you addressing COVID? And whether it's in terms of your business model, your burn rate, um, you know, you're approaching things differently. For me, it's been a big red flag if someone says, oh, there's no answer at all. 
um, you know, there's no change, there's no problem. Um, we're doing things at, and it's like, okay, fundamentally that's not true. Fundraising is likely harder, so I should be hearing mm -hmm. about yeah. how your burn rate changes. You may be actually, uh, it may be accelerating positive trends for you. Like I'm in infectious diseases, and so this is going to be a hot space, and I'm going to be able to help out now. So that's been a big red flag question for me now. That's actually a good, decent red flag. So let's talk about the green flags now. What do you like to see in the entrepreneurs? in their pitch decks, in their verbal presentation? What's that, you know, that you're like, okay, that's the person I want to work with. That's uh, someone that I want to invest in. I think one of the big questions I'm starting to ask, this tends to be, I think, in the, the more digital health, digital transformations kinds of companies, but really about how are you gonna change the rules? So you may have this great technology, um, but then telling me, okay, this is how things are going to be different. This is the different behaviors it's going to change. This is how we're going to do things. Um, uh, an example I like to use in a space that I'm not necessarily involved in, but when I think about like event technology and a VR, and the example being that, you know, I don't think many people like the 90, 100 person, um, you know, you know, we all go in the same networking room and, and schmooze around and talk and maybe something out comes out of that. <laughs> and so, and especially now in, in the COVID situation, is there actually an opportunity for those type of events anymore? Probably not. But if a VR company was to come pitch to me and say, hey, we're going to do a VR networking event where there's 100 people in the room wandering around, talking to people, occasionally change, uh, exchanging business cards, I think that would be more from the, I said the red flag, but then the green flag is, but this is, we're going to take this event and here's the underlying job that it's doing and here's how we're going to change it. Here's what, what rules we can break by being now in VR. So that becomes a big green flag is here's how we're going to look and really change the standard of care, change the way things are done. Um, we can really affect the rules of the game. And I think that's a, that becomes a real big positive, real big uh, green flag for me. That's actually a decent green flag. That's good green flag. So something that, uh, continuously forget to ask my speakers is what is that you know when you first meet the founder what are the common mistakes or common good things that you see so it might be like how the way they're dressed maybe like too informal too formal or the way they talk to you or the way they react when they hear that you're an investor so personally i've seen multiple times like uh people really just jumping on the investor when they hear that they're investors. Uh, what's what's that? What, what do you see in that field? I, I think the biggest thing that can be a go either way is understanding the investor and who you're talking to. So the 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 biggest red flag from the perspective is if someone you know meets me, even if it's the first time or not, and we have a discussion and they understand a bit about the about the investment thesis and my particular focus in life science, and they're coming and pitching me a consumer app. The fact that they they, mm -hmm. they don't know who yeah. the right audience is is for that. And at the same time, uh, knowing that because if somebody says, "Oh, you know, I've got this consumer app. I understand it's not your 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 pitch," and respecting that, and not saying like walking away, but having that, that's going to put a a good uh, a good impression in my head that when I say, mm -hmm. "Hey, well, you know what? I do have uh, you know X, Y, and Z who is uh, going after consumer apps. You should go talk to them." But if that so it's always key to understand the audience, I think, is the, is the is the biggest thing. I think the how they're dressed, you know, I think there's a there's a you know, there's a spectrum like you can be there definitely is, you know, if you're if you're trying to pitch me in flip flops and a T-shirt, that's going to be one thing. Um, <laughs> if you're in a tuxedo, that's another. So um, I think there's a lot 
not so that. And I think also just, I think it comes down to listening. Like we talk a lot about founder coachability. So if somebody, if I ask a question and they actually listen to the question and, and, and really think about it and give me a solid answer, even if the answer is, I don't know, I'll get back to you. That, you know, that understanding of that, this is someone I can work with, I think is key versus I'm going to still answer the same answer I gave you before. Right, right. That's actually very important. You're right on that. So let's talk about fundraising now during this pandemic. As you mentioned, it got a bit tougher. So what's your advice to founders trying to raise money like right now during this uh, coronavirus? So it's difficult now. You hear a lot about, you know, most uh, firms are obviously trying to look at their own portfolio currently. That doesn't mean there aren't uh, new first time uh, fundraisings happen. Uh, the San Diego Agent Conference was the end of March. So this was one of the first, you know, we were right in the thick of not knowing what's going on. Um, some of the early <laughs> Q2 data that I've seen on the on venture funding did not drop off a cliff as ex as kind of everybody expected. So I think that's something that, you know, people are definitely still investing. You know, there's, there's the ask, you know, for the haircut in terms of we kind of expect valuations going down. Um, and I think just also, as I said, getting back to the COVID question, like, how are you going to be even leaner than you were expecting before? How are you going to make that, you know, whatever you're raising really go farther? Because, you know, we don't know when the next normal is going to be in place. Right, right. Absolutely. Right. And here we're coming on to the last question of this episode, which is a call to action. What's the one thing that you would like the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? Yeah, so I think, I mean, if you're interested in the Illumina Accelerator and you guess something in that space, uh, the application deadline for our next cohort is August 1st, so I'd go to check out that. And if you think SDAC's a good fit for you, uh, go to thesdangels.com, and we're going to be opening up uh, new applications for our next cycle uh, pretty soon. That's good advice. That's great advice. I'll definitely leave a link to uh, Illumina. And uh, if anyone's curious, if anyone's not working in that field, be sure to apply if you're not working, if you're working with consumer tech, probably not. All right. So uh, be sure to listen. Don't, don't screw this one up. So I'll leave a link. You do you. So we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot, Jason, for coming up and for sharing your experience uh, in uh, life, life science and biotech. I think that was a really interesting episode. So thanks a lot for that and have a great day. Thanks for having me.